Dan. He's a great guy. Well, I'm just telling you ahead of time, this is going to be an eye-opening message series. If we've done a series quite like this uh, since we started our church, I don't recall it. Of course, you know, sometimes I don't remember the message I shared last Sunday. So, because uh, I've already transitioned, moved on to the next one. But I seriously don't remember us really getting into what we're going to get into today. And whereas we've got a lot of our friends and family members that are traveling this weekend, you're here on the opening Sunday uh, of this series. And I want to use uh, today to set the tone for the three weeks that will follow. And you can tell already by the screen what we're calling this series. We're calling it Seeing the Invisible. And we're doing that intentionally. We're doing it with a good reason. And that is because there is a world. There is. There is a world. And there is activity and there are spirit beings that are just as real and just as legitimate as everything that your eyes can see right now. It's invisible to us, but it does not nullify the reality of, of what, what is taking place, again, in a world that we cannot see. For example, the Holy Spirit. You and I cannot see the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. He said that to his followers at the time, because when I go away, I will send to you the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus was visible when he walked the earth, but the Holy Spirit is in terms of his presence. By the way, the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, not a mist, is a person, but the Holy Spirit is invisible to us. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit next week. You do not, I promise, want to miss that. But the Holy Spirit, invisible to us, but active. I hate even mentioning this, but it's true. Satan or the devil, invisible to us, but, uh, but Satan is real. He exists. And so are, so are his demons. And by the way, so are angels. And, and we need to talk about this. Now, I want to just say on the front edge of this talk and of this series, quite often in churches and among Christians, there are uh, one of two viewpoints that people normally take, churches or Christians. Uh, let, me give you, let me give you the first one. The first one is this. Here's one viewpoint that some churches have and a lot of Christians have. It's the viewpoint that everything that happens bad in the world, everything that goes wrong in the world, every negative thing that ever occurs, it can be blamed on the devil. The devil did it. The devil made me do it. The devil was responsible for it. And that's one view. I can remember when I was a kid, my grandfather, my dad's dad, who's passed away now, granddaddy, when we were small, it only worked one time and then we had it. I can remember him. He'd do like this real quick. He'd throw up his fingers like that and he'd say, how many fingers do I have? He did it to me. I remember I learned the lesson the hard way and I saw him do it to my younger cousin. How many fingers does granddaddy have? He'd do it just like that and he'd bring them back and we'd all say 10. And he said, no, there are not 10 fingers that granddaddy has. And he'd hold his hands up and he'd say, I have nine. And we had all asked the same question. Well, why do you have nine fingers, granddaddy? And he said, well, when I was a little boy, he said, I got a hatchet. I was chopping wood and I reared back and I came down and, and I hit what I thought was going to be the wood. And I hit my finger. It just sort of went flying up in the sky. How many of you are glad to hear this before you have lunch today? And, uh, and, you know, I'm, granddaddy, thankfully, never said, he never said, by the way, the devil caused me to lose this finger. 
No, he was a young boy, shouldn't have had the hatchet, and had he had it, it should have been more comfortable. He was responsible for having nine fingers. The devil had nothing to do with it. The devil, uh, you know, a lot of times people say, has, has something to do with everything that goes negative in the world. Some of you have heard me tell this story, and I'll tell it really quickly because I've got a lot to share with you today. But uh, some of you know that before this campus started, I, I was at the North Campus for, for probably five or six years. I've always lived on the South Side. We've always lived on the South Side, so every Sunday morning I would drive north. Uh, one Sunday morning, real early in the morning, I was, I was driving. Uh, wasn't a lot of cars on the road. Uh, truthfully, I wasn't paying that great of attention, which is somewhat common for me. That's why generally I have to ride in the car by myself. My family realized this. And so I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. Next thing I know, I slam into the back of a vehicle. Bam! I wasn't going real fast. I wasn't on an interstate or highway. I was on the road. Bam! Just and spun that car. You ever see, you know, like if you're watching uh, the law enforcement videos, how they'll hit a car and spin a car out? Have you ever seen this? That's exactly what I did. I hit that car and I spun that car out. Now, here's the problem it was an unmarked deputy's car. I mean, I, I ran right into the back of it. He had stopped to turn. I apparently was not paying attention. In fact, I was looking at something like, what is that in the floorboard? And when I looked up, it's like, uh-oh. And I stomped on the brakes. I pushed them through. It felt like the floorboard, but it wouldn't bring that vehicle to a stop. Pow, spun him out. Man, I tell you what, I'm like, oh, no, I can't believe I've done that. I wasn't. N n let me tell you, I never thought for a moment. I never said, devil, I rebuke you for making me run into the back of that car. You know who it was? It was me. It was my own foolishness. I didn't even realize I ran into a law enforcement personnel uh, person uh, until he got out of the car. Remember, it's an unmarked car, but I knew as soon as he got out. See, most law enforcement people wear a badge about this big. How many of you have seen it? When he got out, his badge appeared to me to be about this big. And I'm like, oh, no. And I stood on the side of the road, and, and uh, he's like, hey, you know, I'm going to have to call. You know, I'm a part of the accident. He's real nice, way nicer than probably most of us would have been. And I said, I'm so sorry. It was my fault. I was looking at something in the floorboard. He said, no, it happens. And he described a situation that had happened recently. And I'm like, I know, but I'm so sorry. He said, well, because I'm a part of the accident, I now become a civilian, and I'll have to call somebody else. And so uh, they called somebody else and came out and got my, my information. And he starts saying, and I'm giving him my information. And he says, uh, work number and I'm like eight six three eight five nine six thousand he paused he says I know that number he said where is that and he says uh where is that I said well I'm a pastor he said yeah that number is familiar to me he said what church are you at I said first baptist church of Lakeland <laughs> I didn't say that I said victory church he said oh that's why I know I've worked traffic for victory church many times I'm like and then I have to wait, and it was so bad. We didn't have a lot of people going to the North Campus to live south, but a few. And I quickly could assess which people in, that went to the North Campus had compassion and which did not. Some people drive by, and, they, and they'd just be driving along casually because I'm standing there. Now it's time for people to go to church. I've already called ahead, and obviously I'm not going to be there. As early. And I'd see church people, church people that I knew, they'd drive by and some of them just turn and look because I'm out there standing, uh, you know, waiting for everything to get finalized. Some of them would look and they'd see it was me and, and then they'd turn around and come back, Pastor Jeff, what happened? Are you okay? Do you need a ride? And I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can you believe some would just turn, look at me and start laughing because it was me and just keep right on driving? 
I'm like, I'm tired of this. I thought if I see another Victory Church person coming, if, if those officers aren't watching me because I don't want to do anything to aggravate anybody right now, if I see another church person coming, I'm just going to get on the line and just start saying, <laughs> just to really mess with their head. How many of you know the devil had nothing to do with that? It was me. It was me. Uh, you know, uh, we do things, but some people want to say it's, if it's bad, if it's negative, it's always the devil. There's a devil under our, every bush. The devil is everywhere. The devil's doing everything that's negative or wrong. Sometimes it's our own mistakes. Somebody say, I can't believe I didn't pass the test. The devil prevented me from passing that test. What well, could have been you didn't study? I could have had something to do with it. So some believers in some churches have this idea that, uh, you know, every bad and negative thing that ever happens can be blamed on the devil. Well, let me share with you an opposite extreme. In some churches, a lot of churches and believers and lots of believers have this idea. All this talk, this is how they view it. All this talk about a spirit <clears throat> or invisible world and, and spirit beings and, and angels and demons, that's all just sheer foolishness. That's complete nonsense. Don't acknowledge it. <clears throat> Don't talk about it. Don't believe it. Don't buy into it. So there's extremes on either end. So what are we going to do? And again, I'm so glad you're here to launch this series with me. Here's what we're going to do. We are going today in the next three weeks to unpack a biblical perspective concerning this straight out of God's word. This is not going to be about opinions. It's not going to be quoting blogs or theories or myths or legends. What we're going to do is we're going to dive into the Bible because we need to know about uh, what is this invisible world that is always at work, but we need to know about it from a biblical perspective. So look on the screen. This is Paul. Let's dive right in. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. Paul said, and he's this great leader in the early church. He said, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They're not weapons as we would think. You know, it's Memorial Day weekend and we think of wars that have occurred and military uh, weaponry that has been used. No, that is not what Paul is talking about here. What Paul is essentially saying is this. We live in a physical world, but in play is a spiritual world. And in that invisible world, there is a nonstop war that is constantly raging. Even right now, while I'm standing standing here and you're sitting there, you're watching online, there is a world, an invisible world that you have the kingdom of light that is in constant battle versus the kingdom of darkness. This is the apostle Paul again. I want you to see this up on the screen. This time in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We're going to come back to that. For our struggle is not against, look at this, it is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, look at this now, this dark world, this invisible world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And what, what Paul is saying here is that our battle, a lot of times we think our battle is against flesh and blood. What does he mean? He's, a lot of times we think that our battle is against people, that our enemy is actually people. 
And Paul is saying, no, 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 you don't get it. Your enemy is not the people that as you think they would be. And your battle is not with people. It's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers and rulers and authorities. And, and, and what Paul is just wanting us to say is be sure we get this right. Listen, your enemy is not your boss. He is not your enemy. Now, he may be a jerk, but he's not your enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. Your, your enemy is not your ex-husband. Your enemy is not your ex-wife. Your enemy is not your former business partner. Your enemy is not the government. You may not like everything the government does, but that's not your enemy, nor is a certain political party, depending on which political party you happen to fall into and think something different. Of the, hey, your in-laws, your in-laws are not the enemy. Can I just tell you why we're talking about it? Even your homeowners association is not your enemy. You may feel like it sometimes, but it's not. Now, we're going to come back to this, but for now, I want to show you two examples of something that happened in an invisible world. And I need to be brief because, again, I want to be sure that we get this all in. So there's this prophet, and you can read about it later on your own, this prophet by the name of Elisha, Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, who uh, followed Elijah, and he has this servant, and uh, Israel is in battle with the king of Aram. And so this servant walks out one day and he looks around and he's like, oh my goodness, we are in big, big trouble. We are so highly outnumbered. This is going to end in certain defeat. Now, I want you to pick up with that. You can go back and read 2 Kings 6 later, but I want you to see this right here on the screen. Look at it with me. When the servant and the man of God got up, the man of God being Elijah, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And again, uh, these are those uh, who are in collaboration with King Aram. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. I love this. Look at this highlighted portion. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. And there was this thing taking place in an invisible world. What was visible to the servant of Elijah was all of these who have gathered against Israel on behalf of the king of Aram. What what he could not see, and that's why Elijah prayed that somehow he would be able to open his eyes and see the invisible, is that God had sent warriors and angels who were going to protect them. Listen, friends, I wish I had more time to talk about this, but there's going to be times when you are going to feel all alone, but you are not alone. You're surrounded by the presence of God. You're surrounded by the protection that God has brought on your behalf. There are going to be times in your life where you're going to feel highly outnumbered, and you're like, there's no way I'm going to make it through this unscathed. All of the odds are set against me. But there is a world that is always at work. And there are activities that are always playing out that you and I simply cannot see. Let me show you a second one. This time Daniel is praying. And it appears that while Daniel is praying that nothing is happening. Have you ever prayed? Have you ever felt like you've been asking God to do something and you're getting no answer whatsoever? It's like you're, you're, just, uh, you're just bothered. You're disturbed by unanswered prayer. I want you to see this. I wish I had time to provide commentary on it, but I want to just read it. Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the what day? 
Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, this is of the kingdom of darkness, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, Michael, again from the kingdom of light, then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia, who, by the way, he's already mentioned. We just saw that. He said, now I've come to explain to you exactly what has happened. And, and Daniel's praying and he's thinking that his prayer is being unheard, that his prayers are being unanswered. And God sends a messenger who says, no, no, no. The very first time you prayed, it was being heard. But there was resistance. I wish we had time, more time to talk about that. But it's a reminder to us all that there's going to feel, feel like occasions when our prayers are going unanswered. And it may feel like we're being overlooked. And God's too busy with so many other things. But we fail maybe to realize that there is an invisible world and things that are happening all the time that you and I cannot see. Just as real, just as legitimate, but we can't see it. That's why we're taking time in this series to talk about this. Now... <clears throat> Again, this is sort of an overview, and I want to establish it, and I've got a lot to give you, but I can do it quickly. But in this invisible world, we have a spiritual enemy, and our spiritual enemy is Satan, <clears throat> the devil. He is real, and he hates us. He not only loathes every person that is a child of God, if that's you, you're a Christian, he hates you, he despises you, but he actually feels disgust for all of God's creation. So what I want to do, and all of you note takers will want to get this down, I want to quickly mention four things that he's always focused on, and then we're going to turn around and we're going to spend the balance of the time talking about what God has given us in order to help us to be protected. So number one, what does the enemy focus on? Number one, he wants to blind the minds of people who are not in relationship with God. He wants to blind their minds. Look at this verse up on the screen. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Have you ever had somebody that you know that may be far from God? They're not a follower of Jesus yet. And you're just wondering, how can they not get it? How, how, can they, how can they not see this? You've even said this, and I've said this before without even thinking it all the way out. How can they be so blind? How can they be so deceived? Uh, wave at me if, you've ever, if you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever seen that, saw that, thought that, said that? I mean, think about that. What is it? Satan has blinded their mind. See, Satan is not omniscient like God, all-knowing. However, he is shrewd enough to know that if you listen to and embrace the truth, God's truth, that the truth is going to set a person free. So what does he want to do? He wants to hold people in captivity. We'll come to that in just a moment. He wants to blind their eyes, the minds and the eyes and the hearts of people who are not in a relationship with Jesus so that they won't give their heart to Jesus. Well, a lot could be said about that, but I need to keep moving. Number two, he wants to steal away God's word from our heart. 
He wants to steal away God's word from our heart. Now, you and I have seen this passage before. In fact, we did some time ago. I did a series right out of this particular parable. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 19 says, The seeds that fell along the road are the people who hear the message, who hear the gospel about the kingdom of God, but they don't understand it. They don't get it initially. Then what happens? The evil one, Satan, the devil, comes and he snatches the message away from their heart. And, and this happens all of the time. And you are my dear friend. Thank you. You're a perceptive guy. You knew what was happening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's my buddy, David. Give him a hand for coming to my rescue. Thank you, David. All right. Now I'm ready to go another hour. A person hears God's truth, and it makes them think. A person hears God's truth, and it, and it makes them become, it causes them to become open to the gospel. They are moved when they hear the gospel. They are moved enough to contemplate making a life-changing decision. And some of you, that has happened to you, even if you're not a Christian yet, you heard something, you're like, oh, man, wow. Uh, and it just, it, it got you thinking. It, it caused you to reconsider something or recalibrate your thinking in some domain of your thinking processes. And you're like, you know what? I, I think there is something to this. I, I, I think God did love me enough that he created me. I think God did love me enough that he sent his son Jesus into the world to die on the cross for me so that I can have life and have it more abundantly so that I can be saved and have his, his, um, his fellowship and companionship uh, with me now through the Holy Spirit and I can know that I'm ready. And, and you hear that and that makes sense. And there's something in you that says, you know what? I've been resistant to God. I've been closed off to the gospel. But here, it's either happened to you or somebody that you know. And then you're at that point. You're like, you know what? I wonder if I should give my life to Jesus. And you're really thinking about it. And it's just really banging around in your head. And you're like, you know what? This may be something I need to do. Maybe I do need to step over the line of faith and give my life to Jesus Christ. And that's just burning in your soul and you're thinking about it but then it appears that the next day those thoughts are gone and life returns just back to a normal routine what has happened the evil one has been successful he has stolen away God's word from a person's heart so number one he wants to blind the minds of people who are not in relationship with Jesus secondly he wants to steal away God's word from our hearts number three he sets traps in order to ensnare us to make us prisoners of this war let me say that again I want you to be sure you get it clearly in your notes what does the evil one do what is he always focused on he sets traps in order to ensnare us to make us a prisoner of this world of, of this war now how many of you believe this? How many of you believe that the enemy is dialed in to your areas of greatest weakness? How many of you believe that? Wave at me if you believe that. That the enemy is dialed into the areas where you're the weakest. How many of you believe that the enemy already knows your area of greatest vulnerability? He already knows that. And you know what he'd love to do? He would love to be able to exploit that weakness to such a degree... By the way, it's not the same for all of us. 
you're weak in some areas where I'm strong. I'm strong in some areas where you're weak. So it's, we're not all the same. We all are strong in certain areas and we're all in weak and it doesn't overlap. And so, but he's shrewd enough. Again, I mentioned that he's, he's crafty, he's cunning, and he knows where are areas of greatness, weakness. And so what he wants to do is he wants to turn that into a habit. He wants to turn that into an addiction. For some, it may be alcoholism. I, uh, that's, that's not been a challenge for me. But I've got some family members that it's been a bear of a challenge for them. I remember trying alcohol when I was a, I was a teenager. I, did, I didn't even like the taste of it. But I've got other family members that they not only enjoy the taste of it, it actually, over time, through alcoholism, became very destructive in their lives and in their families. You, you could set it before me, just like I have this water bottle. It went and phased me a bit. But I got close family members that... I know in love, some of which are in sobriety right now, and it would cause them to break out in the sweat. Why? It's their weakness. For some, it's alcoholism. For others, it's pornography. For some, it could be not alcohol, but food. For others, it could be worry or anxiety. It could be spending. It could be debt. But, but the enemy is always trying to exploit us where we're the weakest. I was talking to a guy, I was in a business yesterday, and, and I grabbed a quick lunch, I had a lot going on, and I've gotten to know some of the people there, and, and I, I said to him, I said, how are you doing? And he said, I'm doing good, but I'm really busy. I said, I see you in here all the time. He said, I'm here seven days a week. And I said, well, you must get really tired. And, and I said, but it's good because it keeps you out of trouble, right? And he says, right. He said, and it keeps me from spending money too, because I like to spend money. And if I'm at work, I can't spend money, but then he brought out his phone and said, but sometimes I can't on my phone. So that's a whole other story. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26. I want you to see this. It's really important. Then, and this is what we pray will happen, then they will come to their senses, and that may be for you right here, right now, and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. So what is the enemy constantly focused on? He wants to blind the minds of people who are not in a relationship with Jesus. He wants to steal away God's word from our hearts. He wants to set a trap in order to ensnare us. Number four, he absolutely, absolutely wants to destroy our life. He wants to destroy our life. The enemy is not content with mere distractions. He wants to utter destruction. You just need to know that. So you need, can I just tell you, and you don't like thinking about it, and I don't like thinking about it, and... And, and uh, but I'm going to say it because it's true for you and it's true for me. We need to go ahead and accept the fact that we're a target and the enemy wants to destroy us. Do you know that? If you don't know that, you need to know that. Do you know that the enemy wants to destroy your relationship with God? Do you know he wants you to turn your back on God? It's an old expression we used to use uh, years ago in the church world. And some of you old, old timers will remember this. He wants you to backslide. He wants you to drift in your relationship with God. The enemy not only wants to destroy your spiritual life, he wants to destroy your family. And he wants to destroy your health. He wants to destroy your finances. He wants to destroy your career. Can I just tell you this? He even wants to destroy your testimony 
for Jesus, your witness for Jesus. First Peter chapter five and verse eight says this. Look at it on the screen. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he just wants to destroy so many. I mentioned witness and testimony. And maybe this is just an opportunity for me to purge my own soul. And I'm so embarrassed. I'm so humiliated to tell you this story. How many of you, if I'll tell this story, you won't judge me too harshly? Okay, I don't see enough hands, so I'm not going to tell the story and I'm going to move on. How many of you will not judge me too harshly? Does it help you if I tell you that it happened years and years and years and years and years ago, so long ago that the boys were very small and they're grown men now? I'd gone out golfing. I mentioned to you the enemy wants to destroy so many areas of our life, including our witness and testimony. Now, I was a pastor then as well, and, and uh, I was a pastor of a church in, in this town that will remain unnamed so nobody can connect all the dots. But I'm out playing golf with the boys, and we, we're playing, and I want them to learn to love and enjoy golf. So I get back in the golf cart. My brother's in one cart. He has one of the boys. I have one of the other boys in me, with me, and he's in the cart with me. And I go to drive off. We've just finished putting out on the screen. We go to drive off. I don't hear four. I don't hear anything. I don't hear watch out. I don't hear heads up. I hear nothing. But I feel a golf ball bounce off my kneecap. And, and I look, and I can tell that far away off of the tee, Somebody's hit a golf ball, and, uh, and they hit it off of the tee, and it hit my knee with such a velocity, I knew it had never even bounced on the ground one time. It hit my knee so hard, I kid you not. By the time it ricocheted around off of my knee in the golf cart and rolled out, I had a knot on my kneecap the size of the golf ball. I would love to tell you, I said, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Lord, it could have hit me in the head or my boys in the head, but it hit me on my kneecap, which hurts like crazy right now. And I can't even walk. But glory to God in the highest and all peace, you know, peace among all. You think I said that? I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I looked up the guy standing there. And I said, all pastoral like. Do you know how to yell for? Do you know how to yell for? And the boys are like, dad, 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 dad. I'm like, no, 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 no. Huh? Do you know how to yell for? And the guy's just standing there thinking, now I've hit a crazy man. Not only have I hit a man, I've hit a crazy man. And I was so mad. I was so angry because how many of you know, it's just so easy to yell for when a golf ball is going in somebody's direction. All you've got to do, I've done it many times. About half my shots, I yell for. It's real easy. Just yell for. And he does it in his, oh, in my knee. And I'm like, God, don't you know how to, and, and I'm not proud of this. And after I said it and he's not responding, I pick up the golf ball. Now he's got to be 200 yards from me. And I pick up the golf ball and I throw it as far as I can in his direction. But how many of you know, you can hit a golf ball 200 yards, but you can't throw a golf ball 200 yards. And I felt better for three seconds. And then I got back in the golf cart and I felt this unbelievable conviction because it was like God said to me, I just felt that conviction. Look at you, big boy, preacher man. Act like a fool in front of your two sons. And oh, by the way, 
what are you going to do if that guy shows up at your church next week and says, there's that crazy man that threw a golf ball at me? Did you judge me too harshly? How many of you will be relieved to know I haven't done it since? I learned my lesson. But he wants to destroy our life. So are we defenseless? Are we destined for destruction? Absolutely not. God is with us and he is strong. Furthermore, he has made available to you and I the full armor of God. This is not on the screen, but let me read it. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, <clears throat> stand firm then. And he mentioned six things with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And what is God saying to us? He's saying, listen, there is a real world that you cannot see, and there is constant warfare between the kingdom of light in the kingdom of darkness, and you are a target, but I have not left you without a defense. Take on, and this is what Paul says, take up the full armor, the full armor of God. I'm not going to elaborate, but I'll just hit it real quickly. Take on the helmet of salvation. How do you place yourself under the protection of God? You must be born again. See, you can try and do it on your own apart from God's grace. You can try to do it all on your own. I don't recommend that. How many of you know it's a good thing to be under the umbrella of God's protection, to submit yourself under the rule of God and the protection of God? How do we do that? By giving our life to Jesus Christ, by being saved, by being born again. How many of you know there's power in the shed blood of Jesus? There's power in the cross. There's power in the gift of salvation. And what are you and I, if we're going to stand strong? Paul said, be sure that you have on the helmet of salvation. Secondly, be sure that you have on the breastplate of righteousness. What is this? This is the divine protection that God gives us for our heart. The breastplate of righteousness. How many of you know what our own righteousness is? The scripture says our own righteousness, apart from Jesus, is his filthy rags. But when we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, listen, when God sees us and we're in Jesus, this is so powerful. When God sees us in Jesus, he doesn't see our filthy rags of our own righteousness. He sees us clothed with the righteousness of God. How many of you are glad of that? He gives us the helmet of salvation. We're born again. The breastplate of righteousness righteousness. He gives us the belt of truth. We put on the belt of truth. Why? Because it's difficult to fight with your pants down. How many of you know that? Okay, maybe not. But Satan is a liar and he is deceiver. And what is powerful? The truth is powerful because it sets us free. The belt of truth, our feet fitted with, fitted with peace, the supernatural peace and calm that comes from knowing we're in relationship with God and we can hang on to it. Even during storms, even during conflict, the shield of faith. How many of you know sometimes we've got to play defense and the shield of faith helps us when the enemy is coming against us with lies and attacks and temptations and accusations, his flaming missiles. What do we have in place? The shield of faith. And then Paul said, and, and you also have, and this is where we get offensive. You have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's why we again and again talk about the word of God. It's why we need the Word of God. It's why you need to read the Word of God, not just let me do your reading for you on Sundays and to know God's Word and to use God's Word against the enemy. How many of you know that's exactly what Jesus did when he was tempted and when he was tempted in the wilderness by the devil? 
the devil came to him. Jesus, of all people, Satan would tempt Jesus in the wilderness three times. And every time, do you remember what Jesus said? It is written, it is written, it is written. What was he calling on? He was calling upon the authority and the power of the scriptures. And we need the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. Let me give you one more verse. First John chapter four and verse four. Look at it up here on the screen. You, dear children, are from God. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I've got good news for you. You, listen now, you are not going to be defeated. You are not going to be overwhelmed. Why? Because you're an overcomer. I want you to know this. Right now, if you are positioned in Jesus, if you're in Christ, if Jesus lives in you and you've submitted your life to Jesus, let me just say this to you. You are not fighting for victory. You're fighting from a position of a victory that you already have in Jesus. And it's not about your power, but it's about the power of Jesus that lives and abides in you. Is the enemy real? How many of you believe he's real? He's real. How many of you believe that the demon spirits who work in collaboration with him, they're real? And we don't need to walk around fearful of, you know, everything's caused by the devil, but he's real. But God says you can be strong in me and in the power of your mind. Put on the full armor of God so that you may stand against every single attack of the evil one. We're not going to be defeated while we're in Jesus. We're in Jesus. And that's what you and I need. Would you stand with me? We're going to do one more song. But before we do, I want to pray for you right here, right now. Maybe you're one of those who you just said, Jeff, I'm not in a relationship with God. I haven't given my life to Jesus. I am not under the protection of God. I am not born again. I've not received Christ as the Savior and the leader of my life. But I want to do that right now. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that's you right now, would you just lift up your hand right where you're standing? Just lift up your hand real, real high. How many of you that are here this morning or you're watching online, you would say, Jeff, I'm in a battle right now. Satan is coming against me. He's trying to pick on some area of my life. He's trying to destroy my relationship with God. He's trying to hinder this part of my life. He's trying to discourage me. He is, I'm in a battle and I need to know that God is with me. If that's you, just wave your hand at me just like that. Father, right now, we just thank you that everything we need, we find in you. God, we thank you that we can be strong in you. We thank you that, uh, that you who are in us is greater than the enemy that is in the world. We know that there's an invisible world. There's an invisible war. We believe that the Holy Spirit is active. We do believe that the devil is real and those demons are real. We believe that there are angels, but this is what we know, God, that we are held in the palm of your hand and that nothing can defeat us. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a position of victory that we already have in you. We're strong in you. God, I pray for any person who right now just say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of all my sin. I want to be under your protection. I want to be under your rule, oh God. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life right now, Lord Jesus. I want to walk in fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, let's sing this together.